Hello and welcome to episode 333 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And join me as always, this is the Glorious League Freak. You can also find me on Twitter at League Freak, and who I believe is the single-handed reason as to why this, uh, the Rugby League World Cup will be without Australia and New Zealand. I've you know, seen the, you, are the, the next, you are to blame. Yeah, the next time that the Australian Rugby League and New Zealand Rugby League wants to make a decision, can they not leave me as the front man for all of the UK to just fucking whinge at? Yeah, it was pretty rough of them, wasn't it? They went, we're going to piss off England here. Who we, who can we fall on to piss them off the most? And he can handle this shit. And he's just going, ah, oh, league freak, as always. I am a professional at it. You know, it made me think about where Rugby League Heartland is. And I think that Rugby League Heartland is anywhere where a middle-aged pom is whinging at an Australian or a Kiwi who's just fucking bemused. <laughs> I'm going to say somewhere in Penrith. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, it is in Penrith. That's all that matters. I have heard every single stupid analogy. I have ha- heard every single stupid comment. The NRL has been at the heart and soul of making every decision about the World Cup and then trying to cancel the World Cup and blah, 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 and people are stupid. That's my conclusion. Exactly. Now, look, this is going to come as a bit of a surprise, I guess, given that we've often been um, heard talking very glowingly about International Rugby League. Mm. And so people are going to think, hang on, this doesn't seem very consistent. Mm. It's the, the fact that we're supporting Australia New Zealand's decision not to pay, appear in the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And as I've been saying all along, and I know you've, you've not argued with me on it, is we shouldn't be having a Rugby League World Cup anywhere while there's such a huge concern over, you know, people getting COVID. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're going to be playing this World Cup in England, because England were just so fucking keen to have a World Cup again. I mean, they've only had 13 of the last 15 World Cups or some bullshit. I don't know who cares. Every time there's a chance for a World Cup to come in, they'll hijack whoever is having it just to make sure they get it instead. Yep. Um, oh, England's getting you know, several thousand cases per day of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. It's so rampant over there that they can't even keep the virus out of the Super League competition. We've got Super League games being postponed and whatnot because we've got players getting COVID. I believe it's only something like 17 games have been postponed over there, though. Only? Yeah, that's all. So that's the equivalent of just over two full NRL rounds. Yeah. But it's fine. The best part is they say, well, Super League clubs don't have the the financial capacity to have a bubble like the NRL. It's like these players can't stay at home. Hang on. If they don't have the financial capacity of the NRL, what do the international teams have got? Well, this is the thing. because, And this is what my argument is. Australia would be fine if they said, look, what we require is for each team to rent out an entire hotel, to have their own staff who stay at that hotel in a bubble, to have all of their drivers and their trainers and their coaches not leave that bubble. Australia's fine. Australia can do that. Fiji can't. Samoa no. can't. Like, no. they just cannot afford to. No. Super League clubs will be able to afford it more easily than 
Fiji, Samoa, even Jamaica, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. There's no chance that these international sides are going to be able to do the sort of lockdown that Super League clubs are doing. Yeah. Okay. And the Super League clubs version is not working because they're getting COVID anyway. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's mind-numbing how fucking stupid it is trying to run this thing over there. And... Yeah, you know, when I was arguing about it on Twitter, all I got from people was, oh, but hey, Wimbledon and Formula One, and they did this and they did that. And going, that doesn't mean that COVID doesn't, you know, impact sports people. It doesn't mean it make it less risky. It doesn't mean COVID looks around and goes, I'm going to hit, the- oh, hang on, no, he's an athlete. We can't go after him. Let's find someone else. That doesn't work like that. COVID goes after anyone. I've been to the Formula One a number of times and I've actually done the pit walk at the Melbourne Grand Prix once. I reckon I didn't get within hundreds of metres of a driver. What about the rest of the pit crew, though? The pit crew, I I got within, I reckon, 30 metres. There you go. But that got this, new, this new Delta variant, the one that's going around Sydney at the moment. We, yeah, There's been cases in Melbourne and in Sydney where people have got it, not through being in direct contact. Mm. Like the, the person who... Um, brought it down to to Victoria. Apparently, one of the Victorians who got it was um, a neighbour to, you know, the place where these removalists who had COVID to the room to where they were going. So, it's, if you're a neighbour to someone with it, you're not even in direct contact, and you can still get it from them. Yeah, that fucking chance of stopping this thing. And that's probably yeah. why England is still getting thousands of cases per day, even though. Their vaccine rates over there shit all over Australia. But not only that, how's it going to be in November when mm-hmm. the Rugby League World Cup's been played and it's freezing cold, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's the flu season. That's when it goes around. That's um, right. I just think that, look, you and me have gone back and forth on, is the World Cup going to be played? I know we got to a point probably only about three or four months ago where we were like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. It's on. And now, at this point, it's got to be off. And, look, people keep saying to me, oh, the rugby union players are doing this and stuff. I don't care what rugby union players are doing. No. If you go and look at the checkered past of rugby union players and what they've done to their own players, I don't give a shit what rugby union's doing. But all I know is that there's only one World Cup that's scheduled for England, and it's the rugby league one, and it shouldn't go ahead. And it sucks. It's not what any of us want to see. There's no one wants to see a Rugby League World Cup played more than you and me. And it's terrible that it shouldn't go ahead, but it shouldn't go ahead. And it's for player safety. And anybody that's on the wrong side of player safety, fuck you. I don't really care what you've got to say. Because I don't care what the government over there is going to lose. And if we're going to talk about how much money English Rugby League is going to lose, fuck off. It's been losing money for decades that's not yeah. on Australia and New Zealand. How about English Rugby League stands on its own two feet for fucking once? Well, further, I mean, how much money are they actually going to lose? I mean, they've had, you know, been playing in front of empty stadiums for bloody ages. Oh, They're losing ridiculous. money anyway, so, you know. The, the stupid shit I have seen out of the UK from people that have said, oh, Australia just doesn't care about international rugby league. And I have a look back and it's like, well, England hasn't played Wales since 2012. They haven't played Ireland since 2013. Granted, they played against Scotland in 2016. And after that, it, like, 
you know, we've had World Cups and things like that. I'm not even getting on their case after that. But there's no excuse for them to have not played Wales and Ireland for that long. None at all. Oh. I mean, they even went to the effort of forming or reforming the Great Britain Test team and then sending that team halfway around the world to play games over here, all of which they lost. Mm-hmm. They they chose to do that instead of playing against France, Scotland, Ireland, Wales. Yep. You could have done that on your doorstep every year. No excuses not to. Every year, you know? Every fucking year. Yeah. It's like the equivalent of having an international team that's in, like, between Newcastle and Sydney, and you say, no, nah, we're not going to play them. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Like having, having four no, four test nations around, you know, this, essentially the Australian East Coast. Yeah, within New South Wales, mm. and they just refuse to play them. So I'm Too not going to be have, you know, English people tut-tut in the Australian Rugby League. I'm sorry. Now, we also had someone talking about how um, you know, Australian Rugby League are full of cowards mm-hmm. because back in 1946, the Great oh. Britain international side went through, um, what was it? They mine uh, laden waters. Yeah, mining festival water. You made a really good point about this. Who laid those mines? <laughs> well, most of those mines are going to be around the British Isles, which were laid by the British. <laughs> so they kind of knew where they were. <laughs> yeah, they made it sound like they basically were going through mine infested waters all the way to Australia. It was ridiculous. And apparently they, the Great Britain team, come over on a boat to save Australian Rugby League. It's like, yes. what? Now, I called up this person about it, and I said, that's all a bit romantic, and I think it's a bit far-fetched to call what they did in 1946 as saving Rugby League in Australia. Mm-hmm. And to their credit, actually, no, because they didn't reply. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. Mm. Some Just another pommy dickhead. And I wasn't being abrasive. I just said, you know, that's a bit romantic. I I don't think they saved Rugby League. Yeah, mm. Rugby League may not have been going fucking gangbusters here. Yeah. But it was in a lull because we'd just come out of, a you know, another world war. Um, And, you know, as it happened with the first world war, it happened in England as well as New Zealand, is you go through a bit of a talent trough, so to speak. Because everyone died. Yeah. And so you you just I mean, I mean, France is a perfect example. I mean they deleted the game there. Mm-hmm. They had to rebuild the fucking game from scratch. It took them seven years and all of a sudden they had possibly one of the greatest ever international rugby league teams ever assembled and they lasted as one of the greatest for a decade. Yeah. It took them seven years to build that. You know, the weird thing for me, though, is that it come from somebody that purports to be a journalist and like just putting out false information like that and saying it in such a, a, I don't know, a pathetic sort of emotional way. I just thought it was funny. Yeah. So they're calling, they said the Australian should be referred to as the chicken shits or something like that. Yeah, something weird like that. Yeah. He talked, and all he could talk about was this 1946 Lions thing as how they helped rugby league in Australia. I thought, England really, really wanted, we'd have to go back too far. They really, really wanted a kangaroo tour in 2001. 
Mm-hmm. They were desperate for one. And, oh, and by the way, why were they desperate for one? Yeah, they were struggling hard. Because they fucked up the 2000 World Cup. Yeah. Big, big, big time. Um, so we Australia planned to go on a kangaroo tour in 2001, the first one in seven years. You know, there'd been a break because of the Super League war over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and just before they were already set to go, like Australia had actually gone through and made their selections for the tour. And then there was this incident over in England, uh, sorry, over in the US. I don't know if anyone heard of it. Um, it's just referred to as the 9-11 attacks. Yeah. Where airliners flew into two tall tires, skyscrapers. And for those who may not have, um, you know, lived through that time, everyone, as you might well understand, was shit scared about going on planes. Mm-hmm. Shit scared. Um. England insisted that, oh, no, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. When you should come over, they're, they're even talking about having, uh, I'm, I'm going off hazy memory here, about having a chartered flight come over and pick up the Australians to make sure it was safe. Um, I do believe there was even talk that Australia might go on a military plane to go over to England to make sure that they made it. Uh, there were a bunch of players who were selected to play for Australia that too, and they just went, I'm not going. And most of them were because they were family men. Like they'd only just had young families. Stuff like that. They went, I'm not taking that risk. Mm-hmm. Quite a few pulled out. They still went ahead with the tour. It only lasted, I think, four games. The yeah, three, they, the three they, tests and one tour game. They cut it right back, and mm. they actually called it off at one point. And it's the greatest mystery I've ever had in rugby league in the last international rugby league in the last twenty years, because it was called off. And my understanding is Morris Lindsay got on the phone with the Australian administrators and whatever he said to them, they put the tool back on, but it was cut right, right back. Um, and I'd love to know what he said to them. Do you, reckon, do you reckon he called them chicken shits? No, I would suggest that Morris Lindsay said something that was, that was a little bit more uh, business minded. My guess is that, they probably had a competition agreement with the Australian Rugby League at that time, which for me, I cannot believe that the Rugby League World Cup is not run and maintained year after year that it is played with the understanding that Australia and New Zealand and England and even France are bound to play in the competition. And if they don't play in the competition, there are really well planned out financial penalties like it is crazy that that's not part of the the world cup agreement between these nations steady on adolf (laughs) (laughs) yeah i got i got called hitler because uh on twitter because i was worried about players oh let's just go another look look at walk down there the closest hitler got involved to rugby league was when um the collaborative um vichy regime in in France, deleted rugby league. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about ensuring teams play in it. Yeah. And they called you Hitler. So that just shows you where they're at with their fucking mindset there. And I brought that up and that still had no response either. So, you know, they don't like facts too much, these these no. winching assholes. Super emotional. They got they, really, yeah. really, really emotional, yeah. It's funny. I've, I've never heard anyone resort to calling someone Hitler mm. and being balanced emotionally 
Mm. Like you've got to be pretty unhinged to pull that shit out of the bag. And we usually when you do, you're pretty much waving a white flag. Yeah. You're saying you surrender this fight. I've lost this one, so I'm just going to pull out the Hitler flag. Pretty it's very docile. strange. Very yeah. strange. And, like, look, the, having English people talk about, well, Australia doesn't care about anything outside of Australia. And I've, I've brought up different things during the week, and I just put them out there, and they're all facts, like how long it's been since England played Wales or Ireland. And then I brought up, like, what, there's no rugby league team in Birmingham, you know, and they'll talk about the north side-south divide over there. And it's like Bir- Birmingham is a big working-class city, and there's zero rugby league there. And there's never been any move to have rugby league there. And even when I brought it up, people were like, well, it's a, you know, it's a soccer town and you'll never change it from being a soccer town. It's like, yeah, when you do nothing there, you will never change it from being a soccer town. You're right. Or you, I'll tell you in future, mate, whenever someone says to you, oh, it's a soccer town or blah, 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 just go, just reply with nothing else and just say Melbourne Storm. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't get it. Like, remember there was a few weeks ago where I think it was the head of the Rugby Football League. No, it was it was a guy that was uh, in Parliament and he was talking about how in Australia that you go, come to Australia and there's only one sport and it's Rugby League and there's no other competition for sport <laughs> except Rugby League. And it's not like that in England because they have some competition over there. And it's like, this guy's never been to Australia. What the fuck's he talking about? Got one yeah, of the most competitive sport environments in the world. Got that very wrong. Yeah. And then another, I'll tell you another thing I heard. Um, people complaining because NRL clubs have leagues clubs that fund them. And it's like, you know, it would be really good right now if you're a Super League club to have spent, you know, 30 or 40 years having set up and run a licensed premises that you could draw funds out of to run your rugby league team. That's kind of called business. Like, that's not something that's negative. That's actually a positive thing. Like, once upon a time, the Penrith Rugby League team was a rugby league team with a a bare paddock. And now you go there and there's the Panthers Leagues Club. They've got the Centre of Excellence. They've got a number of very big organisations that are linked all around the Leagues Club. And they've built that business. And it all goes, at the end of the day, towards funding the Penrith Panthers Rugby League Club. That's what you're supposed to do. You don't just have some rich dude that you say, please pay us money, pay us money, pay us money. And as soon as he stops paying you money, everything falls apart. Everyone's broke at the club. Like, it's not a bad thing to build a business that funds your rugby league club. And they're using it like it's a bad thing. It's crazy to me. Oh, my but I mean, that's what they do. I mean, even their soccer, which is one of the, you know, it's possibly the most prominent soccer competition in the world. They run clubs like that. Mm-hmm. It's just the, they've got the luck of having so much money poured into it that they can get by with that sort of attitude. Yeah, yeah, it's it, weird. It's really weird. I think as far as calling the Australian and New Zealand players cowards is stupid because it's not the players that have made this decision either. The, the players are keen to play. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't surprise me. And the thing is, though, here's my answer to that. All right, you go to a rugby league player and say, "Do you want to go over and play in the World Cup?" They'll say, "Yeah." There are also rugby league players that I've seen that have said, "Hey, 
why don't you try pissing in your own mouth? Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Hey, <laughs> do you reckon you could get that bulldog to suck you off? Yeah, I reckon I could. <laughs> hey, do you reckon you could shove your fingers up someone's ass during a game? Oh, I reckon I could. Like, let's not talk about the decision-making process that goes into rugby league players sometimes. Sometimes you need somebody looking over there and saying, hey, rugby league players, let us make this decision for you. Yeah, yeah they, they, need a, um, they need a party that, that works in their favour. That, they that really do. Them. Yeah. Because there's been some bad decisions they've made. There, there's been a few bad decisions. <laughs> a few, a few. <laughs> Um, one of those bad decisions, this is going to be a lovely segue, was made by um, West Tigers um, defensive liability, um, James Roberts, mm-hmm. who was told, you know, you're in, you're in your bubble up there in Queensland. You have to put sticky tape on your door because we don't trust you to stay inside your door. And James Roberts went, no, nah, fuck that. And he went onto the balcony and obviously there was... Um, Daily Telegraph photographers sitting outside because that's all they like doing is, um, you know, perverted photos of scantily clad humans through windows from miles away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've done that and they've sent it through to the NRL because, or the, didn't send it to the NRL. They made a story about it and the NRL saw it. Um, so it's amazing what the, uh, the, you know, the News Limited people decide to have high moral integrity on. Yeah. I mean, how will you just how many how many morals they choose to break in order to have that moral integrity? <laughs> yeah, like I mean, they literally are employing somebody to use a telephoto lens to always be watching into the window of these players and their families who can't leave these hotel rooms. I, I find it very, very, very gross. It, it's like imagine getting paid that. That's got to do something to your soul, doesn't it? To be that person. Yeah. I do wonder, though, if one of those photographers just said, hey, James, check this out. He's trying to figure out what it is. I said, come outside, I'll show you. And so he's opening the door, come outside, and going, photo, gotcha. It it would be, look, if all he's done is gone out onto his balcony, they'd better not ban him or fine him or anything at all. Oh, they will, because um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but COVID in Queensland only exists on hotel balconies. Did you see how the other week, or it wasn't even a problem, maybe a week ago when the players got there, I think it was the Manly players, and they were swapping marshmallows between the balconies. <laughs> and keeping in mind, right, that these players are literally walking out of these hotel rooms together, getting in their team bus together and training and playing together. So it's not like they're not all mixing, Right. But because they were handing fucking marshmallows to one another, people blew up and said they were breaking the bubble. And that's what all of this is from. Now they've got to have tape on their windows and doors to make sure they don't go in and out. It's it's a little bit of madness, I think. Fucking stupid. Mm. Taping like, your door? If, 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 if it's if such an issue, hotel- why doesn't the hotel just go up and just lock the door shut? Put sticky tape on it for fuck's sake. But it's like they've got different levels where some people that have been in Sydney in areas that have been had had more COVID, they're on different levels, right? So within the hotel, they've even got their own system. 
So if these players were going out of the hotel, like if somebody said, oh, James Roberts went for a walk outside the hotel, I'd say, man, that was stupid. He's probably going to get banned and fined for that. But to go out onto his own balcony, I'm sorry, that is overkill. What are we doing to these players? Like, they're just footy players, you know? Yeah, we're allowed to run out break. on Suncorp Park, but they're not allowed to move onto the balcony a metre and a half from their own bed. Can you imagine? You've been in hotels before. Can you imagine being locked in a hotel? And look, I know they're nice hotels. I know they've got views. But imagine being locked in a hotel the way they are, and it's like you cannot go out. It's... I, I can appreciate being locked in your hotel fine, but say, you know, to not only say, look, we, we can't have you going out, of, out onto the balcony, and as proof you won't go out there, we need to see that you've sticky taped your door shut. Mm. There's a level of trust there that doesn't exist. Yeah. And it's been replaced by an even greater level of utter fucking stupidity. It has. And look, this, this is, is all, hell. all of this is why the World Cup is a problem, because these are just the players that and we're just thinking about the ones that have gone up there for the last couple of weeks from Sydney. You know, the, the New Zealand Warriors have been dealing with shit, this shit for a year and a half, mm-hmm. you know, and the Melbourne Storm have been dealing with this stuff for a, a good year or so. Yeah. Um, and. To think that we're going to say to these players, you've done all of this and now you're going to go for the, for the World Cup and then you're going to come back and you're going to have to do two weeks quarantine and then you might go home for a few weeks and then you've got to come back into this quarantine situation in the NRL bubble. Man, we can't do that to the players. Well, if they need a break. It's even more, you know, we're going to reward you with an international jumper in the World Cup and... To say thank you for all of the great uh, work you've been doing in being in the bubble and isolating yourself from the rest of society so you don't get COVID, we're going to send you to a country completely riveled in the fucking virus and you may not be able to avoid it whatsoever no matter how good you are at it. Yeah, exactly. That's Thanks it. for playing. Yeah, but do it for the good of the game. Yeah, otherwise otherwise, some stupid old English bastards are going to call you fucking cowards. Yeah. Yeah, some think about that. Re- some Super League officials saying, well, the players need to learn how to sacrifice. It's like, dude, they've been sacrificing for a year and a half now. Shut up. Especially when we're hearing about school kids who used to, uh, when the, the original virus were basically immune to it, all of a sudden are now getting sick with COVID. And a lot of these players all have children. Yeah. Somehow that's being lost in the whole discussion. Uh, I just find it fucking sick that people are trying to demand these players should turn up to a World Cup and if they choose not to, they should be allowed to say no. Yeah, and look, I I just think that I'm happy to go with the Australian Rugby League and the New Zealand Rugby League decision, you know, and for them to both make the decision I thought was interesting because, and look, I've I've always said the New Zealand Rugby League is lazy and they're pretty easy to get to do things. So keep that in mind. But I think that the New Zealand Rugby League saw that if they were going to draw a, a good portion of their players from the Warriors team, they weren't going to have most of those players. Like the Warriors are just want to, going to want to go home. And you've seen that this week. Roger Tuivasa-Sheck has left the Warriors now because the New Zealand is about to close its borders to Australia 
and he had to get out of here as soon as he could before the border closed. That's right. He just thought, you know, I'm injured. I'm probably going to miss the rest of the year anyway. We're not going to make the finals or, you know, they're going to be a hard, hard push to get into the finals. I might as well just end it fucking now. Go home, spend time with the family, and then just get ready to play rugby union, which will be all played over New Zealand anyway. Yeah. Totally get it. Um, Yeah. (sighs) He's a coward. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they're saying. It's crazy. You know, you know what the the one crazy thing about all this though, that I've just realised mm-hmm. is that we're actually agreeing with Peter Volandis on something. I know, and look, people have do said. You, I could ask, do you feel a little dirty? Because yeah, I, I kind of do a little. I do, yeah. I was actually called a Peter Volandis shrill. Ooh, at one point it's like please. Oh, oh, that's that's oh, that's smart. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's it's a weird situation. It's a rotten situation because, as I, I said in the podcast last week, there's no right answer. Like, there's no answer where you make the decision and everyone is happy. But I think that that's why you look at the player welfare side of it. And, I mean, what do you think is going to happen with World Cup? It It feels like they might go ahead with it. And they've talked about bringing in, like, more made-up sides because England loves trying to beat made-up sides. Yeah, look, I think at this stage, England knows as well as anybody else that they need Australia and New Zealand competing in the World Cup. And it doesn't matter who wins this World Cup, it's not going to feel legitimate without those two teams there. Mm. Um, and let's be honest, if England were to go on and win this World Cup without Australia and New Zealand, then no one's going to say, well, they, they're the best team in the world because you know two teams that are better than them were there. No one with a brain in their head, though. No. Maybe. maybe. England will probably be very proud and boast about it. Yeah. They, they might even get an idea and go, you know what we should do? We should ensure the safety of all of the NRL players and just not have any Pacific Islanders playing whatsoever. Yeah. And then it'll just be England, France, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, Lebanon. Oh, no, most Lebanon players are over here. Jamaica. Yeah, that'll pretty much be it. Greece has got most of their players over here as well, too, so... Did you see the dummies that were making up teams and they were like, oh, you know what? This opens the door for them to bring in Serbia and the Trebojevic brothers. They can play for Serbia. Oh, my God, this is amazing. Yeah. And then I saw somebody put together two teams that were made up of Kiwis and Australians that were in Super League, and it was the saddest teams. It was so sad. I was going to retweet it during the week and I was like I can't do this I, I don't want to put this person on blast but it was just sadness both of the teams yeah it's uh, I think if if the International Rugby League was smart they'd um, they'd just suspend the World Cup again for another year mm-hmm. I know they don't want to because England's probably got some deal where they make money out of the, the British government or whatsoever for having the World Cup on or I don't know how it works I've got no idea but they seem really, really keen to have it on and very keen that it must go ahead this year and not next year. I don't know why that is. I assume there must be some sort of finances tied up with it from the government, so some sort of grant or something like that probably. Yeah, there is. There's a £25 million, I believe it is, from the UK government. So that goes to England or the IRL? That's a really good question. 
Because if it goes if it goes to England or not the International Rugby League, then there's a fucking agenda there that needs to be very loudly broadcast. Well, look, you and me talked about the three hundred and something thousand pounds that a park football team in Salford got. I think it was a Salford City Roosters or something mm-hmm. who ended up. I mean, for that much money, fuck, you know, that's a lot of money, and it was literally a team that played on a grass field and nothing else. Now, I'm not against teams getting what they get. You know, it's good. It's good. Expanding the game out to Salford has always been a very clear agenda of this Rugby League World Cup. But, you know, I do... When you see people saying this isn't about England and then immediately saying this is going to really hurt English Rugby League, no one hurts English Rugby League more than English people. No one. And they've been hurting themselves since, let's be honest, from about 1992. Oh. Um, you can go back further. I mean, when we started expanding to have teams in Canberra and Illawarra back in the early 80s, the Rugby Football League sat on its frigging hands and did nothing. And then we got teams in Brisbane and Newcastle and went to Townsville, went to Melbourne. And they've, you know, they've got one team that's in the south of France, which is all French Rugby League. That's nothing to do with England. And I went through a list like they've they they've axed teams that were in Paris. They let a team in London die. They axed a team in Toronto. They let a team that was in uh, Wales die. Like they don't care about expansion. No. And uh, it's interesting. Didn't. Didn't the guy who labelled the Australian and Kiwi players, or, you know, league, sorry, um, cowards, wasn't that the same bloke who refused to have Toronto playing this year as well? I believe it was the same person that put in the recommendation saying that Toronto didn't add anything to Super League at all. That's right, that's right, yeah, yeah. I don't know why he wanted to do that. Maybe he was scared of them being... Oh, no, no, no. He couldn't have been a coward. That would have made him a hypocrite. (laughs) I think that the head of the International Rugby League needs to be sacked. I think that if the Australian Rugby League and New Zealand Rugby League um, have any sort of power in International Rugby League, they need to fire him because both of these organisations have been telling the World Cup organisers for months now that the World Cup needs to be postponed. They didn't listen. They said, look, we will pull out if you don't postpone it. They didn't listen. Australia and New Zealand have pulled out. There were no agreements in place where there was a financial penalty if they did pull out. So it was a poorly put together World Cup in the first place. And I think he needs to be tossed out of the position because at the end of the day, this mess can be completely attributed to how poorly run the International Rugby League is, and he's the boss. It's got to fall on him. It's um, it's, it's just fucking absurd. Mm-hmm. Just absurd. Um, as far as I can tell right, right now, they've got two options, and that is they postpone it mm-hmm. until it's safe to play the, the uh, competition, or if they really want to go ahead without Australia New Zealand, they don't bring in replacement teams. What they do is they consider each of Australia and New Zealand's games as forfeits, mm-hmm. right? And they need to also bear in mind that in doing so, 
it means that Australia and New Zealand will have to qualify for the next World Cup, which means they'll have to play against, um, you know, some of the emerging nations. Yeah, it mm. might mean that Australia has to play against Thailand or the Philippines or something like that in order to qualify for the next World Cup and understand whether that's something that's good for rugby league or not on a global scale. I mean, what do you think Australia would do to Philippines rugby league if they beat them 250 to nil? Yeah, I, I and this isn't taken away from the Philippines players who will love no. playing for the Philippines there. But they've only been playing for like four or five years. It yeah. just no country's going to be able to be competitive against a team that's as established and high class as Australia is. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, it, it, I, if Australia has to qualify for the next World Cup, I'm fine with that. I oh, really likewise. Like. But you know, I'm just saying, like, they need to bear in mind that you're going to have two top-of-the-line international nations that will be going through that process at the same time. I also just, don't I don't know this whole... Like, I, I think it's been good that the Rugby League World Cup got its own year in the sporting calendar, and I think we should stick with that. But at the same time, I also think that considering what we're having to deal with right now, if we've got to be running in the same year as the Soccer World Cup, it's just what we've got to do. You know, I don't it, know why they're so worried about that. Are, the, are they concerned that the Soccer World Cup take crowds away from the Rugby League? And if that's the concern, um, why are they not concerned about having Rugby League games being played at the same time as Premier League games in England? I, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it either. All right, let's be honest. Um, uh, we love Rugby League more than most people do. But we can both also say, you know, and be realistic about it. Soccer will always have bigger crowds globally than rugby league ever will. It'll have more eyes on it, it'll have more money going into it. Mm. Why are we worried about competing with that? Yeah, we're we're not going to. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a different fucking realm. If you think there's going to be a competition there, um, no, soccer wins. I'm sorry, it just yeah. does. Yeah. Like, there's only one sporting event globally that's going to be able to compete with Soccer World Cups, and that's the Olympics. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, I don't see... I, I, You know, I understand it's not ideal, but I don't think it's this. It's game-breaking, you know, for us. No, I, I, think, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think, think it would have any impact whatsoever on English rugby league crowds at all. No, I don't either. I don't either. No. Okay. I think the people that were going to be interested in the Rugby League World Cup in England were going to be interested in it because they're not doing work. You know, they don't care about promoting the game. And they've got 120-plus years to show us that. So they're not interested in promoting the game anywhere different and getting a new audience. They're just really promoting it to their current audience and I think that the current audience were going to turn up to watch rugby league games anyway. And maybe you need to, if they're on at the same time, exact same time, you might need to make sure your schedule is a little smarter and not be playing like games when, say, England soccer team is playing. But outside of that, I, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. No, not at all. Not in the slightest. So it's pretty nonsense that. Um, yeah, we flushed that out pretty well. Yeah. By the way, the next Rugby League World Cups, 
Next one should be in France, mm-hmm. just France. Yes. The one after that should be in New Zealand and the Pacific Islands. Yep. The one after uh, that should be in the Americas. Yeah, in the Americas, that would be good. I wouldn't have the Rugby League World Cup in England for decades. No, I would... I mean, I've said it before on a podcast, you know, and I know you have as well, is that we shouldn't be looking at having World Cups in England or Australia for ages. Yeah. They've had their fair shares. We don't need to, you know, we don't need to be promoting it here. The games, you know, Super League and the NRL are, without doubt, the two leading rugby league comp- you know, club competitions in the world. We don't need to have the World Cup here to promote it and push it around. The people watching the World Cup and going to those games are the same ones that are going to NRL Super League games. So you're not expanding anything there. Yeah. Um, so we need to start using the World Cup as a means to promote, expand, improve rugby league in other countries. And France is it's it's needed a World Cup on its own for decades. It's the least it deserves given that they they genuinely created the whole concept. Um, it's the least we could have done for them. And to, for, for them to have not had a, a World Cup entirely of their own for so goddamn long is, is absolute bloody travesty is what that is. It really um, is. Yeah, and New Zealand, like if they bring a World Cup over to New Zealand, and same as in France, just because England are close to France doesn't mean that England should play their home games in England. They should be playing their games in France, not at a single game outside of France. I agree. And when it comes over to New Zealand... Australia should be playing in New Zealand, not a single game in Australia. I agree. Um, and then have you know the Americas one as well, and they've got to start doing that. There's no point bringing the World Cup down under and having Australia playing in Australia and New Zealand playing in New Zealand. That achieves zero. Yeah, and and look, the World Cup should be something that drives the sport. It shouldn't be something that pl- is played in a country where the sport has been dying for 40 years and it's just given it another shot in the arm just so it lives a few more years longer. Well, I mean, that's what's happening. And that's yep. what, it'll continue to happen. Like you, you'll find that every second year it'll be in England. Yeah. That's just what will happen. Uh, yeah. And it'll have to be that way just, just to keep English rugby league alive. Yeah, and like this is the thing: the whole world is the whole rugby league world isn't about English rugby league, and they don't like that. And like I've never felt like English rugby league or English rugby league players were special. They're just other rugby league people, you know. And they think they're special. They think they deserve something, and they don't. And I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. It's I, I don't know. I, I don't like the fact that some bodies might be using or a body might be using a World Cup purely to make money for their own local competition. You know, if if the British government is tipping in money to have the Rugby League World Cup there, then that money, all of it, should be going to the International Rugby League, not to English Rugby League. Mm-hmm. Um the International Rugby League should be spending all it needs to cover any costs that England Rugby League incurs for having the World Cup. Whatever cost that might be, it probably won't be many, but that should be the only thing that goes on there. Um, but we just know it won't work that way. Yep. Let's talk about some good news. Yeah. Craig Bellamy has re-signed with Melbourne Storm. It's a bit of a shock, isn't it? Because the, the media for a long time 
were adamant that Bellamy was standing down. And then we did get a somewhat confirmation, what was it, the start of this year or last year, where Bellamy said he only wanted to coach for one more year. Mm-hmm. And then this news today just comes out of the blue and signed him for five more years. So, okay. Well, it says he, he turned down Brisbane and Cronulla to remain in Melbourne for five more years. And it said Craig Bellamy will advise Storm officials before the start of next season whether he will continue as head coach in 2023. So he's either going to be part of the organisation or he's going to keep coaching. Um, I believe he's continuing coaching. Well, and that'll be good. Uh, Let's have a look. He said... um, this is from the NRL.com website. It says Bellamy, who had agonized, who had been agonising over his future since last year's grand final defeat of, I don't know what that sentence even means, of the Panthers. I don't remember that game. Has committed to the Storm until 2026, but will make an annual call on whether he wants to remain in charge or move into a part-time director of coaching role and commercial role. So... I think that's a good move for him, and I bet 100% he coaches out those five years. Absolutely, he does. <laughs> There's no way he gets to the end of anything and says, oh, no, I'm going to hand it over to someone else. Yeah. There's no chance, even if he did hand it over to someone else, that he wouldn't be in that, that uh, coach's box every fucking game, abusing yeah. the living shit out of someone, <laughs> and that coach being completely bullied into doing whatever Craig says. <laughs> exactly. So it's but it's good news because I thought I think everyone felt like he was gonna leave the storm, but there hadn't been anything firm. Like there was nothing from him that indicated it, but there was so much, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, and it just turns out he's gonna stay there for five years in one capacity or another. So it's good news for the storm. And I think it's good news for him and his legacy too. I fully agree. I was thinking today when the news came out that who would have thought that you'd have possibly four of the greatest players in in the modern game at your club and they all moved through and you'd be able to replace all of them almost immediately yeah it's crazy and without a blip there wasn't a season where they just struggled uh, no there, there was never a season where you looked at them and went oh there, there's the hole there's the hole that was being left. Yeah, he just kept building them stronger and stronger and stronger. Mm. And I thought the only coach who's been able to do with anything like that, even close to it, was Wayne Bennett in 1991 when he said to Wally Lewis, of all people, we think you should go. And yes. that's a ballsy move, but it, it was the right one. But you know what? And this is when I... I had to stop reading Wayne Bennett's book. I think it was called Man in the Mirror because he would get through those those seasons and there was the one season, and I might have said this on the podcast before, where it was like we were we were a little bit thin up front, I thought, and so we needed to recruit someone. So I brought in Glenn Lazarus. And it's like, come on, man, that's not coaching. <laughs> that's not some superpower you've got. You brought in the, one of the greatest front rows in the history of the game. You were right. You were fine. Yeah. <laughs> at his peak. Yeah, at his absolute peak. Yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, I had to stop reading his book after that. I couldn't take any more of the self-serving bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I think it's great news for all involved. Um, yeah. And I, I personally hope he stays on as a coach. 
Yeah, I think the only way he moves on from coaching is if it'd have to be someone he felt like was really special taking over that role and he would go into a minute. Like, say Cameron Smith said he wanted to become the Melbourne Storm coach. I could see him doing that. Mm. But outside of that, I like, I don't think any of his current assistant coaches would be in line. I think no. he'd still stay there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um. All right, let's touch on this one. The West Tigers documentary series, um, Tiger Tales. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've only seen episode one. Yeah. Uh, let's go with your thoughts first. Okay, so I I took some notes when, and I haven't watched the second one yet. No, I took some notes for the first one. Let me just find them. Um, What's okay, your over, so, overall view of it? My yeah. overall, uh, my, I tell you, my my overall view of the first episode was I feel very very sorry for Michael Maguire. Mm. Right, that was my first thing. Um. Seeing the players say that they all felt like they were onto something special going into the season, I found that strange because I had them getting the wooden spoon. I think it what you had them like what twelve or thirteenth? Like I had were... them in the bottom three. Okay, there you go. So I don't know why they were saying they felt like there was a good season coming up. Okay. I thought the CEO wearing a t shirt because he's a casual CEO was pretty funny. I don't know why. But he's, you know, He's the casual CEO. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, he's in his I felt potato from... jacket. What's that? He's in his potato jacket. Yeah, it's just so weird. <laughs> I felt sorry for Michael Maguire. Um, there was a play in the first episode where the Michael Maguire was telling the um, trainers to stop a play, stop the play in the Canberra Raiders game. And I thought that was very telling because that shouldn't be something you can do. That shouldn't be a directive that the coach is giving, that stop the play, stop the play, stop the play. Now, there was an injured West Tigers player out there, but I just thought that it showed where there is a problem in the rule set where a coach can be up there and he's, like, yelling at his trainers, stop the play, stop the play, you know? Um, I I agree with you, but at the same time, I wasn't surprised to see that because I'm confident every single club does it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't a West Tigers thing. It was more an overall game thing. Yeah. Um, a question I wrote down: How do you motivate losers? Like, That's that is the problem. Yeah. Michael Maguire is having at the moment. Yeah. Even when he gets a win out of them, he can't get them to back it up. Yeah, and it's a question like, technically, you can do what you can do, mm. but this, like, when it's a club that has been losing for so long. And it's ingrained in the culture at this point. It's hard to say it's not. How do you turn that around? And how do you do that as one person? I can understand if you bring in a group that has maybe got a winning record and then you add winners to your playing group and then the losers sort of come up with the coaching staff. And But when it's just one person, I don't think you can do it. That's my personal opinion. Um, it's a hard thing to do. I think the the thing that I took most out of it at this point was um, Michael Maguire, the man, it has a much vaster rugby league knowledge and brain 
than every single West Tigers player combined. 100%. 100%. And to hear that there's people in the media, James Hooper, um, and fans who think that Maguire needs to go. <laughs> I, I was defending before this thing came out, and now that I've watched it, I'm going, and now I'm, con- I'm absolutely convinced that I'm absolutely right that he is not the problem. Yeah. Not even close to the problem. My next point, what does it feel like to sponsor a losing club? Because they, they showed one of the sponsors, and it's got to be a weird feeling because you're tipping money in and you're doing it for something you love. But if you're not seeing results on the field, it's a negative – you're getting negative feedback, you know. If you're sponsoring a club, I don't care if you're – your logo is out there on their shorts or something. If they're getting flogged by 50 points, you're not feeling good. Yeah, I I reckon I've always had this theory too with sponsors is sponsors are just focused entirely on the media exposure. Mm-hmm. That's it. There's a reason why the Sharks always struggled for um, exposure. And I'm oh, sorry, for sponsors. Because even when they were successful, no one wanted to be attached to them because, you know, they're coming out of the whole peptides thing. Yeah. So the Sharks were still winning games. They were still successful. And success was part of their culture um, before and after the peptides thing. But they couldn't get a sponsor on there because of the negative media attached to the club. Mm-hmm. The Tigers don't really have negative media around the club. They've just got negative performances on the field. Mm-hmm. But that's not something that's... Um, Somehow, it doesn't drag down on the business. They've got their name plastered over the front of the jumper because the Tigers have never had an issue with sponsors. Never. My next... Um, sorry, so, go on. So I think it's all about image within the community and image in the, in the media and stuff like that. My next point from the first episode, the sponsor won the raffle. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> good, good on him. I've got no problems with it. But it was, I just that, thought it was funny. That's how chook raffles in the 70s were run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice to see that shit hasn't changed. <laughs> All right. Uh, then some, some thoughts about the CEO, because the, the end of the episode was kind of more focused on the CEO. He was very chilled about losing, and he mm-hmm. talked about how he's a he's kind of not the sort of person that has highs and lows. He's very leveled. And I thought to myself, you know, if I was running a club that hadn't been in the finals for close on a decade, and my job had never, ever been under threat, I would be really calm as well. I wouldn't have highs and lows either. So that was interesting. He said the CEO saying that they uh, they have standards and expectations. I'm thinking, when? What What for? The yeah, food? Clear, clearly they're not high enough. <laughs> yeah, what the, like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> um, he said they have depth, which they haven't had ever. Because he was saying, oh, one of the good things we've got this year is depth. I'm thinking to myself, no, you don't. You don't have any depth. Nope. No. And and then he said that uh, all clubs are under-resourced. No. I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck are you talking about, man? This is the richest rugby league competition in the world. You get $10 million handed to you by the NRL every single year. Yeah. There's no reason for any club to be under-resourced no reason and yet um west tigers are in a demountable 
center of excellence that was demountable. Yes, I made a joke about that on on, uh, on Facebook, and Gavin Badger <laughs> replied, "Well, it's just it's just permanent. It's just temporary thing. Uh, I know it's temporary, but still, you know, it's been they, temporary. They don't write center of excellence on the side of a fucking caravan for Christ's sake." Yeah, but it's been temporary since 1999. Yeah. Like, any time you perform... What was it called? You put the performance centre or something? Mm. Any time your performance centre has an axle, you got some problems. <laughs> you know, it's not even just having an axle. It's an axle and on blocks. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, it, it has a tow bar, for fuck's sakes. Yeah, it looks like they've just pinched it out of the front of a... Um, <laughs> in front of someone's yard in Campbelltown somewhere. Yeah, this and is ours now. <laughs> and found I've it. Been, like I've been there. I've been to where the West Tigers are run, right? And it is literally dozens of those things. Like the and circus. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when it's got an axle, you got some problems. Oh, the traveling gypsies. <laughs> the <laughs> the caravans, the wheels are falling off. <laughs> And it, it was it was really interesting. So I'll I'll probably watch um the second episode tomorrow. But I didn't want to talk about it unless we were talking about it together because it just felt wrong, you know. I'll tell you what though, it's I, I find it fascinating the behind the scenes stuff that involves Maguire. Mm-hmm. This which I think has been put together pretty well. Mm-hmm. I, I did find myself laughing at how the sensitive swearing sometimes, but not all times. Yeah. So he's in the stands, he's in the coach's box, and he's, you know, fuck you, this, and what the fuck's going on here? Oh, fuck, I'm fucking this, fucking swearing all the time. They put him in the, and then he goes down half time, and all of his swear words are censored down there. Like, why? You know what I think that is? I think it's something to do with the TV ratings, and you're, they've got really weird laws where you're allowed to have a certain number of swear words. So the someone it, of Fox Sports is counting the amount of times he says fuck. They literally are, yeah. <laughs> That's why you can have a Marvel movie with a swear, one or I think it's one or two swear words in, and it could still be PG. But or any more than that, then you've got to go up to the next level. I literally think it's that. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then they, they do this thing before every game where they, fo- they change the focus to certain aspects away from Maguire. Mm-hmm. And one of them was the fans perspective. Mm-hmm. And this is, I say this with absolutely zero disrespect to that fan. I don't know who he is. Um, but given that the majority of people watching this are already fans, we mm-hmm. have our own experience. I don't want to sit through someone else's experience, especially someone who's as deluded as thinking that we should be focusing on trying to finish in the eight I get, no, I yeah. No. Uh, what I want, and this is where the Tigers are at the moment, is I want the team to be competitive. Mm-hmm. I want the team to stop leaking 30 fucking points more often than not. That's kind of what I want right now. Yeah, and then build up a roster and work from there towards looking at the top eight. But the problem the Tigers have got, and I've said it before many times, is they refuse to admit that they need to do a rebuild. So all they do is put a Band-Aid on it and put another Band-Aid on it and put another Band-Aid on it, and that's all they do. And if that had sat down in 2012 after that season and just said, you know what, shit's fucked, we've just got rid of the coach, let's start the rebuild now. What do we need to do to start all over again and get this team back being successful? We've just had two final seasons in a row. We then just missed one, only just. 
let's stop this backwards slide and fix things and change it now. They had that opportunity in 2012, 2013, and they went, let's just put a Band-Aid on it. And they've just been piling on Band-Aids ever since. Yeah, and, like, I, I look at this team and, you know, I think to myself, hey, there's no core to build around. Like, you've got bits, you know, you've got little bits here and there that you could say, oh, yeah, I'd keep him, I'd keep him. But it's not like there's a core of, like, six players that you'd say, you know what, I can build something around that. Like, and I think you can do that at most teams. I think you can do that at the Broncos, you know, it, it, but they, it doesn't seem like that's the way at the Tigers. And, you know, they it's not even like next year they've got any, like, three of... Like, you look at the signings that the Bulldogs have got for next year compared to the ones the Tigers have got for next year, and it is night and day. Mm. And the Tigers will sit there and whinge about how, well, we've got to always pay overs to, to attract talent and go, the Bulldogs have been running in the bottom two for the last, what, two or three years? Mm-hmm. They've signed Addo Carr, Kotrick, uh, Corey Allen. Burton. Burton. Peter Pangai Jr. Mm-hmm. They're probably going to get Paul Vaughan. Yeah. They've not had an issue getting talent. No. No. No, I, I always think that when you start talking about, and clubs do it when they're in a bad place and they're poorly run, and they start saying, well, we can't really get talent. We can't really get talent. Um, I remember Panthers uh, fans saying the same thing. You know, we can't attract talent, and it's just bullshit. You know, if you're a well-run club, you can do it. Yep. That's all there is to it. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I think the other thing that got me about it too was how dishevelled the spud looked in that thing. <laughs> really? Yeah. He's always got that half-ass-looking facial hair going on. Mm-hmm. You see, he's got his he's got his weird little tattoos on him, trying to look tough. Man, you you like someone's dad? Just you know, stop having a midlife crisis and just do your fucking job. I was, you know, the thing that got me too was how old Ronnie Palmer looked. He's been around a while though. I know, but like it, at some point, because you think of trainers as being pretty, you know, athletic to a point themselves. And he just had that an old man shuffle, and I don't know. It just felt felt wrong sending him out there. Yeah, I think that the Tigers trainer needs to be someone who doesn't get out there and just offers little pep talks. There needs to be someone there who just yells abuse. Well, this is what I was talking about. Is like, but how do you motivate losers? Because I think if you abuse them, you just reinforce that they're losers. And See what he did. I'd run out there with the water bottles. Mm-hmm. After the Tigers are just considered a try, I say, "Do you want some water? Do you want some water?" And they go, "Oh yeah, yeah." And you say, "Fuck off! You don't deserve it." And you just walk off with it. And don't give anyone any water. I just don't know how you turn that part of it tough around. Tough love, mate. They need tough love. Is what they need. They need a lot of it because they're all soft. They are they're, soft. They're yeah, all soft. How can you win a game and not win the next one? Nearly every fucking time. If you want, if you want some assistance with footy tipping, if you do jag picking the Tigers to win a game, do not pick them the week after because they will lose. They just you know, don't do back to back wins. There was another party in that first episode where they had a, a I think it was a leadership dinner where they had 
mm. a bunch of they had the CEO, the coach, they had a couple of board members, I believe, and a few of the players. One of them was Adam Dewey. Yes. And I was watching that and I was thinking like Adam Dewey's just trying not to get in trouble. And I'm not saying he's a, a troublemaker. I'm just like he just looked like a dude that was like, if I just shut up, <laughs> I'll be fine. Well, actually, something else I noticed too, and I found this bit actually genuinely fascinating, mm. is after the Tigers conceded a try in one of the early games there, Match was heard talking to the trainer. He said to him, I want you to tell me who's doing the talking down there and what they're saying. Yeah. So he was trying to find out through those moments who the leaders were. Mm-hmm. And nearly all, all the times it was Adam Dewey. And I, I was not surprised to see that. Yeah, that was interesting. Oh, I think they need to bite the ball and just say, you know what, Adam, we're just going to make you captain. Because you watch the way Dewey plays the game. He's carrying that team. Carries them on, the, the on his worries, back. But the thing that worries me, if you make him the captain, right, and I agree with you, I think that he's their best leader. Even better than Tamo, who I think Tamo's just his mind is so blown at the moment. I think he's too passive, always has been. Yeah, and so I, I I agree with you. Dewey is captaincy material, but I worry with Dewey, and I've said this before that he's one of those players that is good to have until you get the player that is the that is your actual first grade five eighth or fullback or whatever you want to play him in, and then he is. He it goes out of the side, and I I think you could get stuck in a situation where Adam Dewey's been your captain for a few years, and then all of a sudden you bring in a five eight, or you could bring in a five eight, but he's your captain. Adam Dewey's your captain, and you know it's hard to get rid of your club captain. And we've seen that a few times before, where a guy has held on to the captaincy, and it's kind of like, well, he really shouldn't be in the first grade team at this point. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I, I don't think I don't think Dewey fits that mold. To be honest, I think there's other players in that side who do. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much any centre that they've brought to the club in the last three or four years. Yeah. Um, Tamo does. Moses yep. and Bai does. They don't. They don't stamp the authority in the side. Whereas I think, I think with Dewey, he actually does. Show some care, show some passion. He does put in, and he's he is getting better. That's the other thing that's different is most of the players in that side are not improving at the same rate that Dewey is. True. And Dewey hasn't been able to nail down one position either because they've been moving him around to try and find out what would be best for him, what works best for the team. It's light and day. He's just their five eighth, and they just need to stick with it. Which thankfully it looks like they're doing now. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's there's there's so there's a massive leadership vacuum there, and so that's why Dewey just stands out too, because he shows what leadership does look like, and no one else at the club does show the, show show it to that same extent, and that's the problem. I tell you another thing that that jumped out at me a little bit in this series, and it's something I've talked about a little bit before as well, where like. You know when you've heard people saying about Trent Barrett, he's going to be a really good coach. He's got trust me, he's going to be a good coach. He's going to be a good coach. And we've seen these situations before where you'll hear people in the game say so and so is going to be a co- good coach, and you look and there is zero 
there is nothing that backs up that suggests they could be a good coach. Mm-hmm. And you kind of are left scratching your head and wondering why. And I think the thing that people sometimes forget, and I think that can get you a long way in rugby league and in sport in general and life in general, is being having the gift of the gab and being easy to get along with. So there was a point there where Moses Mbai was talking on camera, and he's really good on camera, really mm. uh, well-spoken. He... He can he's he gets his thoughts out very well. He's very articulate, better than I am at the moment. But and he's very engaging, engaging with the camera, and he's probably really engaging to talk to. And I think that that can take you a long way in life. And I think sometimes people forget that. And we've talked about it with Mitchell Pierce a little bit. Like everyone loves Mitchell Pierce that is around him. Everyone. There's nobody that's ever around Mitchell Pierce that doesn't absolutely love him. And, man, he's played State of Origin games more than most players have played. Mm-hmm. And there's got to be some point of, like, you can get pretty far where people just love being around you and you're a really nice person. Actually, you know, there, there, are, there are players, and some of them are a bit surprising, but there are players who are kind of, who are like that, and they're kind of like the glue that keeps everyone together. Mm-hmm. Um, a classic example, which most people probably don't wouldn't get, Bryce Gibbs. Mm-hmm. Right when he was at the West Tigers and they were playing well, he was then he was playing all the time. He was the glue that kept everyone together, kept everyone happy, kept everyone united. And he left the Tigers, and Cronulla got better while he was there, almost instantly. He's just mm-hmm. one of those blokes who just brings that positive happy vibe and everyone just they're able to just bond around that it's just one of those players they're like glue I'll tell you another one alex glenn at the broncos yeah people love alex glenn at the broncos yeah. and so it's not about what they produce on the field but it's about the amount of unity and cohesion that bring the team off the field mm. and how that then actually gets translated to you know better performance and better communication on the field and you know a mateship sort of thing. The Tigers haven't had that since Gibbs left. And, like, here's the thing that it brought home to me. If Moses Mbai is just a, a really cool dude to be around and, and he's a terrible football player, <laughs> how many times does he get called in? It's like, man, i got to tell him and drop him, right? Gets called into the coach's office. Everyone watches the door, Right. And then that door comes out. The coach is patting him on the back saying, yeah, you're right, Moses. Anyway, <laughs> playing 5-8 this week. Have a good game, mate. And he just, he he turns you around just by talking to you. It's got to happen more times than not, I reckon. Yeah, it probably does. And that's think- why it's like, you look at a Craig Bellamy. When you, when you fuck up on a field, Craig Bellamy loses his mind and it doesn't matter who you are, right? I don't think Craig Bellamy has ever played favourites. You have to earn it off Craig Bellamy. Yeah. But I'm sure there are some coaches where, you know, somebody will say to them, man, what you should do is drop so-and-so, and he's like, yeah, but, you know, such a good bloke. I will <laughs> say, I, I think Maguire is possibly one of the few... Um, Bellamy protégés who mm. copies Bellamy pretty closely. Mm-hmm. I, 
I can't say he plays favourites. He's dropped most of the players. Um, so he's not playing favourites as far as I'm concerned. Well, the problem he has is he's got no options. He's He's got no options. Also, he has pretty much lambasted most of the team several times over this year, only to find it does nothing. Yeah. He's done the whole, you know, cuddly, cuddly, softly approach. And, you you know, we did a few things good out there. We just need to do that more often and try that approach, and that did nothing. And so I think that's where Maguire's at at the moment is, how do I, how do I get through to these blokes who don't want me to get through to them? Like, they're not here to make the team successful. They're here to get paid. That's kind of the situation the Tigers players are at. And is that the situation? Because, well, and it was just the first episode that I've seen. And as you say, even just in that first episode, he went through so many of the, the triggers of, like, do it for the club's history. That didn't work. Do it for yourself and your personal pride. That didn't work. Tried to be positive. Um, well, yeah. you know, the West Tigers are always in a fucking game, that sort of thing, trying to talk them up and be positive. That didn't work. That didn't work. And... Is that that point where you realise, oh, they've switched off from me and I have to leave because there's nothing more I can do here? And I think it is. Three games, that's the thing. Well, that's the thing, Andrew, and it's like that. And we've talked about this ourselves on this podcast where it's like, I don't think Michael Maguire can fix this and it's nothing against his coaching. No. I just think that they've they've switched off and I think they'll switch off for the next coach as well. That's right. And so that's why he needs to be persevered with because he's not the problem. For the first time, they've got to sit there and go, you know what? If the players are switched off and they're not responding to him, why do we keep those players? Because if they'll do that with Maguire, they're going to do that with every other fucking coach. Why do we persevere with these players? If they're switching off, then fuck them off. But then, Let's get players who are switched on. That way it doesn't matter who the coach is. They'll yeah. always be switched on. We'll always get performance from them. But the, pro- the problem with the Tigers is they don't think like that. They go, well, it'll cost too much to get rid of nine players. It only cost a little bit to get rid of one coach. Let's just ditch the fucking coach. And they go through that shit, and we do that over and over and over and over and over again, and we keep losing games over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, and the thing the thing is, if you if you sat down and I, it's short notice, so I won't get you to do it. But if if I said sit down and tell me what players you think need to go, I'm sure your list would be at least a dozen players, like mm-hmm. at least, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's hard, and that takes a couple of seasons. And if you're buying in players that are really poor to replace those players, which is all the West Tigers do, man, what I just think. Gonna- all they've got to do is bring up a lot of those guys that are playing for West in the um, the New South Wales Cup yeah. because they're at the top of the ladder, I believe, or close to it. Yeah. Um, get them in there and say, say to the current West Tigers players who are being dropped for these guys, say, it doesn't matter if these guys win or lose. Look at how fucking passionate they are about playing in this jumper. Yeah. Until you get to that level of passion and that desire and wanting to play rugby league for this club, they will be taking your spot instead. Yeah, and make just, them realise that you've you've got to fucking want it. Do you feel like the West Tigers situation? Because we've seen teams that are terrible, right? And we always talk about that West's team of the late nineties. Just it didn't matter; they were terrible. Were maybe one of the worst teams of all time. We've seen those teams. We've seen the opposite end where, like, it's the storm. Basically, they just refuse to lose. 
and we've seen teams go from being bad to being good. Is the West Tigers a unique situation where it's there's an apathy there that you don't you rarely see in rugby league, rarely see it where it's you can say because it feels like there's an apathy in this side where where the West Tigers and we're going to lose and we've been thrown together from all these weird situations and I signed here in November or I signed here in February and my club didn't want me and you know I left my club because I'm an older player and all of these other situations where they all come together and it's just this really bad weird mix that how do you get out of that I don't know as I've said on previous episodes, it's a um, it's a perception that's in the rugby league players community, and that is the West Tigers are not a team that are going to be in the finals. Mm-hmm. They are a team that will give you more money than you deserve. So if you're more interested in earning money than playing rugby league, go to the West Tigers because you'll get what you want. That's the attitude within the playing community, I believe. That's what they've got to try and change. I don't know how you change that, but that's what they've got to try and change. Um, I think the most obvious way to change that is go back. Uh, I think Penrith did it to to a certain extent. Go back to having most of your first-grade players being local juniors because they want to be there. Yeah. So they're playing because they want to be there. It's been, you know, their fucking childhood dream, not because they want to get a shit ton of money. That's like, you know, that's secondary or third on the list. That's the fucking cherry on top, so to speak. That's the kind of players you've got to get. And I think that's where the Tigers should be right now, sick and wrong. Eat some losses for a few years, but so long as we've got players who want to be here, that's the first thing we need to get. Then we can start changing that perception that players aren't coming for the money. We're not going to take those players. We're only going to take players who want to come here because they want to be here and they want to help this team get better. And once you start changing that perception within the rugby league players community, I think that's when you start changing the on-field results. And, I, I mean, you look at this West Tigers team and you you wonder, like, how are they spending the exact same as, say, Penrith? Yeah. Gold Coast is the same. They're doing the same thing all the time. Yeah. And, and like, they need to clear cap space and only buy players that are worth buying instead of just buying just shit which is what they do, and I, I, and I know people probably get sick of it, but I go back to when Greg, Ing, uh, not Greg Inglis, um, Latrell Mitchell, Latrell Mitchell was available, and it was a chance to make a statement and say say something, and they didn't want to spend that much on a player like him, and man, I would have done it. I would well, have done I it. Know. To, but you think. How many players have had at the club in the last three years that were on close to the same money mm-hmm. and the result they got from those players? You can understand their hesitancy. I, uh, yeah, I do. I do. But that comes down to the idiot that was buying those yes, plays. You know what yes, I mean? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But that's that's entirely his fault. Yeah. That hesitancy is because of him. Yes. That Those salaries that he paid those people are because of him. That's why he needs to fucking go. Yes. Because yeah, I yeah. do believe that it's like uh, in the car industry where they've got halo cars where, bait, so say you get Ford, they've got the GT and it is like a million dollar sports car and they don't make too many of them. But it has a halo effect on, you know, the Ford Festiva. 
<laughs> on some <laughs> level where people just want to gravitate to that brand because they've got this amazing gift that they've given to the world. And I feel as though there's also something like that in rugby league where you go out, and I think Greg Inglis was a really good example for Souths. They'd made some all right signings and things like that, but when they got Greg Inglis and he's in there playing in Clive Churchill's jersey, that was something different. That was like, okay, now Souths have arrived, and they've never left since then. Yeah. Yeah, that's... um. It's interesting. I can't wait to check out what's going to be in episode two. Because mm-hmm. uh, that will be bordering on close to the long losing streak they had. I think they had a run of four or five straight losses. And some I think, absolute thrashings. I think things are going to get a bit fucking spicy in the next episode. So that'll be entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking... Well, I'm not looking forward to it being yeah. up, man. It's going to be interesting. Speaking of entertaining... Yeah. Um, I, I managed to get freaky here to watch uh, the first part of the Sunday Bloody Sunday oh. documentary. I'd been I'd mentioned it to him several times over. He's like, "Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it." And just like we all do, whenever someone says, "Watch this video on YouTube," you'll go, "Yeah, no worries, I will." And we never have any intentions of doing it. I went, "No, Dad, he has to see it. I just know it was in your fucking ballpark." And uh, what were your thoughts those that first seven minutes that you saw? Well, we watched it together, right? Mm-hmm. I I was crying laughing. It was so downbeat and downtrodden and just people's misery oozing through. <laughs> um, and the, the, the funny thing was that this is the thing that they choose to do with their time that is their happy place. And they're so fucking miserable <laughs> as they do it because there's nothing positive that comes out of their, their moments <laughs> that they've taken <laughs> And just some of the quotes, like we watched, what did we watch? Ten minutes, maybe, of it? I think it was about seven or eight minutes. Oh, my God. Some of the quotes were just absolutely magnificent. And seeing people whose soul had been defeated. (laughs) (laughs) The classic one was when the the narrator said to to the coach, uh, not a coach, the, the president, I think it was, of the club, has any team ever gone a whole season without winning a game? And he looked at him and paused and just went, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> just the, the, that uh, that feeling of and like we've all touched on areas that like that when we've spot when we've uh, followed footy clubs, but this team is the like this is the real deal. This is the they they are hopeless. They know they're hopeless. There's no hope. There's no silver lining. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. None of that. It's just a miserable existence. And they all know it. And it was amazing. And, like, just the opening scenes of just grey, just the rotten greyness of Northern England. And then they go to this little club where it's just they're playing in front of a stand that's fallen down. And even the bricks that the stand is on, uh, uh, they're falling apart. And, um, oh, my God, it was... I was crying my eyes out laughing, watching it with you. And... Part of me thinks if we could do like a a thing where we we record like a what we're thinking as we're watching it and then put it over the footage that's on YouTube, man, that would be so good. I would we'd have like a um an audio commentary of the doco. That's yeah, that's a brilliant idea. I'm keen on that. Yeah, because 
it was it was a masterpiece <laughs> and, and it really was it's like there was the, i felt like a kindred spirit had produced this thing you know all of the things i've said about northern england over the years and i was like oh man they get it <laughs> <laughs> this like understands it <laughs> It's like oh, the fact shit. that at the very start too, guys. Yeah, you know, talking about all the successful teams, you know, Wiggins and Witness and all those things. Winners, and then there's Doncaster. <laughs> they're losers. Oh it's just man! Like, so yeah, so very British with their bluntness as well. Oh, it just—it's phenomenal. It really is. Yeah, it's magnificent, and like I haven't watched any more of it because. Just what I saw was so, it was like literal perfection. <laughs> and I don't want to watch it and then go back and do commentary. I want to watch it as is and and do it like that. So, but my God, it was incredible. Um, I think maybe the best, and I only watched seven minutes of it, the best rugby league documentary I've ever seen. That's oh, the best documentary of any form, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> The amount of times I've gone and watched um, that whole documentary after the Tigers have lost like six games straight and they've been getting fucking flogged. Yeah. That's that's where I go to my happy place going, ah, someone's had it worse than us. <laughs> and it's weird to, it's just weird to see that completely defeated look in somebody that like, they don't know what the answer is because th- there is no answer to this. It's just their existence is miserable and you just get, that's it. That's the end. Like, yeah. there's no nothing more than that. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was absolutely amazing. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, we'll do a commentary. On it. I, I can't wait to do that. That'll be fantastic. Yeah, it will be. <laughs> now, was there anything else I need to go through? Uh, I don't think so. There's the big sto- uh, Storm versus Panthers clash, but the Panthers have so many players out. Um, I'm not panicking about it. Because it is what it is, you know. What are you supposed to do when so many players are out? I'm tipping the Storm to win that one, obviously. Um, But I think the Panthers are going to get their players back before the finals and they'll be fine. I think the only concern for me with Penrith there is because they do have so many key outs is, uh, and because Melbourne's attack is so damn good, I do worry that if Melbourne comes out and puts 30 or 40 on that Penrith side, which they they could do. Yeah. Um, I worry that that could impact the the, the regular players in that Penrith side, yeah. uh, and and you know, have a bit of a negative impact on them. So I hope it's not a runaway game because that that would ruin the finals. I think if that was to happen, a little bit anyway. Yeah. So I like I think because so many of their and they all their key players. That's the weird thing about it. It's like basically all their key players. The only ones like if you could go through and say which ones are the most important for the Panther side? And you obviously start with Cleary and then work your way down. I thought you'd start with Tyrone May. Hey? I thought you'd start with Tyrone May. Oh, my. (laughs) Should I? Should I start? Save save it. Save it for the next one. It'll be good. Okay. (laughs) How the fuck do you get the fucking ball, get it, run to the line, and stop, and everyone else stops, and then you pass it? That's not what your fucking role is, you idiot. Oh, that gets me about Tyrone May every time. I'm going, what are you, what are you trying to do? 
he hesitates. He gets the ball, and then yeah. it's this smooth attack and line, and then he stops. And yeah. everyone stops. Is like, what the fuck's he doing? And then he passes it. Yeah, to someone standing still. Yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah. I've never seen anything like it. I, I don't understand with Tyrone May how you can have this beautiful flowing attacking line, and then you've got a bloke in there who has more handbrake than run. I don't understand how he, how he fits inside or how he keeps getting picked. Neither do I. It's no, the one thing. Why not put Leota at halfback? At least he knows that when you get to the line, you keep running. <laughs> I would put I would put James Fisher Harris at halfback. Like I don't care who it is, they've got to be better than Tyrone May. You can't just stop. <laughs> like he confuses everyone on the field. Like, yeah. the defensive line moves up to him and they stand there and he just stops and he looks around and stuff and then he passes it to the next guy who's like, what the fuck am I supposed to do now, Tyrone? <laughs> do you think he's playing touch footy? Oh, <laughs> it's so weird. It, it really is. He's the handbrake to their entire attack. Mm. It's the strangest thing. Every time, every time. Anyways, got that done. Yeah, that was good. Um, I needed that. I think that pretty much wraps this one up, doesn't it? Yeah, it's been good. It's been good yeah. having you back on the podcast, eh? Yes, I, I know I did say I was going to try and make it weekly, and then I skipped a week. And then you fucking disappeared. Mm, mm. Stop. Well, me. apparently you were just bludging the whole time. Yeah, yeah. There was there was a lockdown thing here, and while everyone else was stuck at home and bitching and moaning about how I'd just been stuck at home, I ended up having to do fucking 40-odd hour weeks at work and loading just several little- tons worth of shit and... Just supply food for a, or half of Melbourne, all right, and just shut yeah. up about it. Yeah. Um, and doing it, you know, I must admit, I was getting plenty of sleep. I showed you the stats there. Oh, yeah, you got, you got a good – there was some solid 40-minute sleep you had there. Yeah, it's going well. I think one day I, I mentioned I had about 143 steps per minute of sleep that I had for the day. Yeah, there, there was one, <laughs> one time you sent – that day you sent – um, your entire day and your exercise and ba- you know your exercising, but it's really showing your activity for the day, and then the sleep, and like I re- I honestly was concerned. I was like, he's going to fucking die. You can't do this. And you'd had like two and a half hours sleep all up. Yeah, yeah. that was insane. Yeah, it's, it's um that was the worst day of it. Pretty much every other day I've been doing four and a half hours sleep. So yeah, you don't mean to be too worried. I'm getting plenty of sleep. Man. <laughs> I tell you what if I just couldn't do it if I get less than if I was getting four hours sleep I could not do a podcast I'm just of no use I can't talk there you go see everyone's bitching and moaning about being stuck at home mm. at least when you're stuck at home you get to have some sleep that's true you should see my COVID hair man oh it's a shocker. It's a shocker. It, it's like... Is it Willie it, Mason-like when he first made it, you know, when Willie Mason first played test footy? No, the way I would describe it is, the closest I can describe it is, remember the bad guy out of Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, yes, yes. Basically, it's like his haircut, but hairier. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's not good. It's like the remnants of what my weird covid hairstyle was from like last i don't know march april 
and with no lockdown easings coming anytime soon in Sydney, yeah, that's going to get worse pretty it's rapidly. Just, yeah, you have to I'm, you have to get some hair clippers and do the Pappenhausen. Yeah, I'm think I, I I've got hair clippers because normally I for years and years and years I've shaved my head, and I'm thinking maybe I should just shave my head again. Um, but you know it's why. That's the problem with lockdown. All your questions are like, why? That's true. Look, the good thing is, because you're in lockdown, like no other human is going to get to see it at this stage. So, exactly. Uh, you, you, know, you don't need to rush things. So just do, seen... just do one. Just shave one, one area, just one stripe a day. Do you know at one point I was considering shaving my face to look like Wolverine? <laughs> just because why the fuck not you know <laughs> um, have you seen the people that have been saying that they want to have a singles bubble I have heard that yeah yeah imagine being that much of a fucking whore that you can't go <laughs> for a few weeks without needing to fuck <laughs> it's a that's a pretty sad existence that really is. Like, I've literally seen people on Twitter saying, I just missed the touch of human warmth. It's like, really? You don't just have hands? You don't have hands? Exactly. As Put I some said, gloves on. Is it, look, you just got to listen to the second half of the uh, Jai Arrow episode that I recorded. <laughs> you grit your teeth, you look yourself in the mirror, and you toss it off like a soldier. That's all you do. Yeah, cry afterwards. If you want some warm touch, and put some gloves on. Exactly. You'd be right. <laughs> There's worse things to worry about. I know. You can imagine you just go a few weeks and it's like, oh, I can't stand this existence. <laughs> Come on, man. It's interesting to know that, you know, there's these large portions of the city population are just suffering from blue balls. I know, right? NNRL <laughs> players are the other ones. Yeah, well, I mean, they've, they've always got that problem. <laughs> do, you, do you reckon that will be the second thing that we talk about in, like, 80 years' time when, you know, documentaries are done about the great pandemic of 2020 <laughs> and 2021, and we say, well, the first thing we did is we all bought toilet paper, and the second thing we did is we started worrying about our jeers. We needed to get rid of the poison. Oh. <laughs> uh. What's more effective, you know, first thing we did was we went and bought all the toilet paper and then we just started fucking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just all, because we'll all be old and it's like, well, we're just all locked down. And so we started fucking one another. <laughs> and let's be honest. Those two things are not, they're not correlated. They don't link. No. We weren't buying the toilet paper because of the fucking. It was just completely unrelated. For some no. reason, people thought the COVID gave what everyone the... diarrhea. What's the next thing going to be? Well, the interesting thing I found from the um, the second wave lockdown we had here is that everyone was buying all of the ingredients to make bread at home. Oh, really? Except yeast. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so maybe decided people if people decided they were just going to start making glue or some shit. I don't know what they were doing. But they didn't buy any yeast. Feel it? Can you make can you make damper without yeast? Probably. I think you can. Yeah. But let's be honest, no one makes damper. Well, let's say, no one who's white makes damper. You <laughs> once reckon? They, once, once, they, once they leave um, high school. 
Yeah, that's true. That's so true. I was going to say, well, fucking no good used to make damper in school, but you never make it beyond that unless you're yeah. fucking dying. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's so funny. So you reckon it's going to be bread making and everyone started making bread that didn't rise? Yeah, that's all that's happened. Because <laughs> we sold so much flour. So much flour. Really, wow. Is it, was there anything you found that you, like, you know what I'm getting the urge to do? Mm-hmm. It's going to sound weird. I I, I want to smash up some old furniture and burn it. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to start. I've got a fire pit and I can't go to Bunnings because, you know, we're all locked down. So I thinking but of you, smashing up some old furniture and just burning it. If there's anything I do know from the uh, the lockdown in Sydney is that people can still go to Ikea. Yeah, what? <laughs> Ikea, what's the other one? Um, David, was it David Jones or something? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all the important places. The funny thing about Ikea is, is there a more claustrophobic place than Ikea? No. It's, it's horrible. You know what's funny is... It's so claustrophobic. And then when you re- you look around at the, the furniture in Ikea, yeah. you have a good look at it. All the stuff is like three-quarter size of what you want. There's nothing that's built to be like large. Yeah, yeah. It's all three-quarter size. Yes. It's like yeah. too big to be in a dollhouse, too small to be practical for what you need. Yeah, I, they, I they give you They give you a dining table that can handle two and a half people. We don't make half people, you fucking idiots. We need we need three chairs to fit around this thing. You know what I always find weird is, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, when you've been around somebody that is like, I want to get some light globes at Ikea. And you're like, you could get light globes fucking anywhere. Why do you need Ikea light globes? It's, yeah. They're not special. No, they're not. Let's pick up some fucking Ikea batteries. Are you serious? Oh, dear. Ikea, like, plates and things like that. I'm not a big Ikea fan. No, I I hate it. Haven't been there for years. Have no intentions of going back. Yeah. The few times it gets suggested to me, I go, not not going. I got talked into... Oh, man. It's one of those things I shouldn't say on the podcast. But... I remember once being told that the uh, the meatballs at Ikea are pretty good. I'm like, why would you buy food at Ikea, right? Mm. And so I went to try these fucking meatballs at Ikea, yeah. and they were uh, as bad as I expected <laughs> them to be, right? They're, I think they're boiled. They're fucking horrible, Andrew. There is not <laughs> one good redeeming factor of them. And as, the, as they put them on the plate, and we're buying them and sat down at the table. The person I was with was apologizing to me before I'd even started eating them. And I tried them and that I tried them. That was it. I, I had one bite and was like, this is what the fuck. All I can imagine is you were sitting there eyeballing the person that was there with you as you were eating it with nothing but hate in your eyes. <laughs> I didn't even get to that point. It was just like this, just, pathetic and like there's so many people go there to eat what are these people doing yeah well who goes to ikea to eat 
It's like there's people that go to Costco to eat. What the fuck? Why are you going to get pizza at Costco? You go no, let's be honest, you go to Costco to get the hot dog. I'd rather just get something good. <laughs> it's like a dollar hot dog or something nice. You can get a Pepsi Max. <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> Why is it Maybe you can get some tires. Get some tires with your hot dog. Yeah, it, there's a funny thing about the tires at Costco. So you you go to a tire place and you you say like, hey, I can get the same tires at Costco for two hundred bucks off. They say, oh yeah, but they're they're um they say they've got a word for them and it's something like say grey market tires. And I go, oh grey market tires, hey. And all that means is that they're cheap tires. <laughs> <laughs> it literally is all it means because Costco buys everything wholesale. Yeah. And they do it on a global scale, whereas the Australian uh, Australian companies, they buy at a, more of a retail price and then they put, pass on those extra costs to you. And so they call them like a grey market tyre and they're literally the same fucking tyre. Yes. And I'm, talk, I'm not talking about like a different brand either. I'm talking like Bridgestone Potenza, which is yeah. what I have on my car. Oh, yeah. See... We've gone from being a rugby league podcast into a retail awareness one. Yeah. By the way, I brought a full-scale Mandalorian mask the other day. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just letting everyone know. Now I own a full-scale Mandalorian mask. Very nice. Very good. Is, is that something you use when you um got your gloves on? <laughs> gloves? <laughs> you know, warm touch. I oh, know. So I don't need a warm touch. I like to. Uh, I like a cold touch. Um, okay, that's cool. You just yeah. put your hands in the fridge, <laughs> chill these babies up. I feel like we could go down a really bad track, or I yeah. end up saying, "Man, I got to edit that part out." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we get into territory now that people don't want to know anymore. Just to let people know, the last thing we really edited out. I was talking about Kieran Cunningham's statue. And that's yeah, that all was... I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew immediately when I said it, I had to edit it out. <laughs> yeah. See, I knew as soon as I heard it that I was going to get it out, so I just kept playing along. <laughs> that tends to happen. It's just some things you can't say. Yeah. yeah. The too, much, too much wokeness out there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap this one up now. We've gone that far. Um, people, stay out of IKEA. It's shit. The meat, the food's crap as well. Don't go to England. No, same reasons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> unless they want to sponsor us, then you know we'll change our minds. Yeah. Don't don't sign for the West Tigers. <laughs> Same reasons once again. The food shit. Ask for the Nesta. You got to pay for it yourself. <laughs> it's all consumer advice here, and don't buy a fucking tires anywhere except Costco. Exactly right. Yeah, get, get your hot dogs and your tires at the Costco. That's all you need. You, you don't need to go past the front door. Just go in. Tires are in by the door. Grab your hot dog out the fucking get. They're just past the fucking caskets. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I know where people die. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, that's a good investment for their tyres, isn't it? You're going to need this on your way out. Get a, get a casket. It's weird how they've got the half casket sitting there, hey, so you can check it out. <laughs> I thought maybe that was for people who got cut in half in weird industrial accidents. Yeah, little people. 
Yes. Anyways, <laughs> getting a bit dark again. Yeah, sorry. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone, and uh, we'll catch you all next time.